next three weeks, we will be in this mini-series of Breaking Free, and we are excited to see what God's going to do as we begin this venture together of Celebrate Recovery. And so today, we are in the first, Pastor Eric will be sharing with us out of this first message from our series, and our scripture for this first message comes from Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can join us. If not, there are Bibles in the pew there in front of you, which also are free to take home. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take it. But we are reading from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20. And it goes like this. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Happy Easter. As some of you are wondering, what in the world am I saying? Um, actually, my intention with doing this little exercise was to show that every Sunday is Easter Sunday, and every day is Easter Sunday as we go forward. And it's not just sort of a post-Easter or an after-Easter message or series or any of that. We're just continuing right through. We're taking Easter with us and extending it along. You know, someone after the first service said, well, did you know it's uh, Eastern Orthodox Easter? And I said, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know. I was just trying to make a point. And, uh, but happy Easter as we carry it through, as we continue through in this series called Breaking Free. I believe that this idea of freedom, breaking free, is one of the ways and one of the major ways of the implications of the gospel for each and every one of us. So we're just gonna get right started. We're gonna get right going for these three weeks. A few years ago, several years ago now, our marriage, my marriage was in trouble. And I didn't know it, and even if I knew it, I wouldn't admit it. And it took one of those friends, one of those really good friends, one of those trusted friends that could speak into my life, it took him uh, while we were uh, backpacking along the, the, in the Great Smoky Mountains, it took this friend of mine to speak this truth to me. And as I was sharing with him all the difficulties that I was having, that we were having in our marriage, he said, you gotta get some counseling. And I had this immediate, immediate 
um, aversion to what he was saying, and, and even anger and frustration with the fact that he would even suggest that. <laughs> counseling. I'm not one of those people. I'm not one of those people that needs counseling. And did you forget that I'm a pastor? Like, I counsel people. I don't need counseling myself. Are you kidding me? In fact, I went to seminary with a lot of those counselors. I, I know who they are. I don't need that in my life. Fast forward a few years, and I was uh, a pastor, and I was seeking a, a credentialing in a particular church and denomination. There was a lot of work involved with that, a lot of paperwork, a lot of meeting with people. And I had a full day of interviews, uh, groups of people interviewing. It was a long day, a long process. And I got a call from one of the representatives um, later that evening, and they said that they were not going to pass me through. They were going to keep me right where I was at. Uh, and on top of that, they would suggest that I have counseling. Why, why would I need counseling? I'm not one of those people. Why do, you keep, why do people keep saying that I need counseling? I'm not, I'm not like that. I had a mentality in my mind that I think you might be familiar with. I had this, this thought process, this framework of, of thought about myself and about the world around me that maybe you can identify with as well. The, the framework of thinking says to, our, says to myself that if I need help, then I am weak. Or take out the, even the help part. and If I need, like if I'm needy, if I'm dependent, if I stand in a position of need, if I need, then I am weak. And I don't, sometimes this is really just, uh, this is a guy thing, but I've seen, it, it's for all of us too, we, we kind of go through this. We don't want to be weak. We don't want to be seen as weak. And so as we run away from that label, as we run away from that character, we don't want to be weak, and so we run away from the other stuff as, to, as well. That in, in our running away or our aversion to being weak, we run away from needing help. We don't like to go and seek help sometimes. Or even just being in a situation of need. We don't like to be in a situation of need because it makes us look weak and we don't want to be weak. The Bible's word for need, and you see this word need itself in the Bible all the time, but the Bible's real word for need is the S word. Sin. I know we don't like to talk about this very much. You know, I know it's not exactly an uplifting topic of, of conversation. But it's the Bible's way of declaring that we are in need. You see, the word sin is way beyond just that time when you were 15 and you took your mom's car out, allegedly. <laughs> it speaks to the human condition. It speaks to the human weakness. It speaks to brokenness in this standing of need that as much as we think we can tackle it ourselves, as much as we think we can figure out on our own, as much as we think we can conquer anything, I have a buddy of mine that says, every day I wake up in the morning and I'm gonna kick, kick life's you know what. As much as we have that mentality, the Bible says that we sin that we have this standing of need. And most of us know this, right? We, we will say things like, well, nobody's perfect. 
right? Well, everybody makes mistakes. We recognize this on one level, but on another level, we have this tendency to hide it away. There is a direct connection between this idea of sin, which is, yes, is a, a rebelling or, or a violation of God's ways, and our standing of need, our lack of ability to figure it out on our own. And Jesus in, um, uh, Jesus was once eating with tax collectors and sinners, and he makes this connection. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Makes that connection. Romans 5, 6 says, for while we were still weak or powerless, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. You see that connection? That in this idea of sin, it speaks to this demonstration that we are human and that we are broken and that we are weak and that we stand in need. And so the same aversion, the same reactions, the same concealing that we do with our own need and our, uh, this idea of being weak, we do it with sin as well. In the very book of the, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, it talks about the first man and the first woman, Adam and, and Eve, and God gives them instructions, said, see that fruit over there? Don't eat from that, fruit, from that tree. Well, they went ahead and they did it. And when they ate from the forbidden fruit, the Bible says that they, their exposure became known to them or they became aware of their nakedness. And some of you know the story. What did they do? They hid themselves away. You can find examples, I think, in our own life when we hid ourselves away. This is what some of the believers were doing that Paul is addressing in the book of Romans. In these next three weeks, we're gonna be going through specific scriptures in the book of Romans. It's a letter that's written by the apostle Paul to the church in Rome, how to make up of both Jews and uh, Gentiles. And Paul specifically wants to address the Jewish believers that are among their ranks. And isn't it like the rest of us and all of us that in the midst of hiding, we hide behind what are otherwise really good things so that people wouldn't see the, the harm that's lying underneath. The, the, the Jews believed that there was this great gift from God, and it is a great gift from God, the Torah, the, the law. And it's more than just a set of rules to follow. It was God's gift to say, here's what it looks like, people. The people that I've called you out, the people that I've set apart, here's what it looks like, people, to live in relationship with me. And so as you follow these ways, as you live this life, then you will be in peace and in communion with me. And people saw it as a gift. In fact, in Psalm um, 119, um, in, in Psalm 119, uh, it says, I, how I love your law, how I love your ways and love your law. It was something to be beloved and cherished. People loved that law. But over time, the gift turned into a weapon. 
became a way in which people could separate themselves from those people, from the rest of those people. It became a way where people could say, uh, prop themselves up and claim some sort of self-righteousness while, um, while you know, putting others or marginalizing or setting others aside. It created this form of exceptionalism. You may not know that word, but you know what it feels like when someone's looking down on you when someone thinks that they're better than you, no one wants to be around those people. <laughs> those people that claim that they have a corner on God, those people that, that, that think so highly of themselves and it makes you just feel so small to be around them. This was the environment that was created in the Roman church that Paul said, this is an issue. We've got to address this, this form of exceptionalism because what it does, it's just another form of hiding. It's just another form of, of concealing the true condition that you stand in. It's a, just another form of distracting people away from your own sin and your own brokenness, and your own humanness, and your own standing of need. You know, there's two ways to, to hide when it comes to, um, in our relationship with God, it, um, we can just pretend that we don't have any problems, or we can spend more time focusing on, on someone else's problems so that no one pays attention to us. <laughs> and Jesus it tells a parable in um, Luke chapter 19, or Luke chapter 18, and he tells a story. He says there are two guys that walked up to the temple to pray. Some of you know this story. He said one of them was a Pharisee, and the other one was a tax collector. Pharisee being a teacher of the law, someone who knew the law very well, and a tax collector who was a despised person. He said the Pharisee standing by himself was praying this way, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, the thieves, the rogues, the adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But then, as Jesus tells the story, as the tax collector was standing far off, would not even look up to heaven but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus teaches him the lesson. I tell you, this man went home, down to his home justified rather than the other. So Paul challenges this way of thinking challenges this exceptionalism, which was just another way to hide what was really going on deep inside. He says in verse nine, what then? Are we better off? Or in the, in the New International Version, are we to any advantage? No, not at all. Are you any better? Are, are you any better? 
This exceptionalism, it exists in a lot of different facets of life. It happens um, uh, with all the dividing lines, um, race and class and economics and, and, and gender. And, uh, it happens across all these, these different lines, but it even happens in the course of religious expression, and it happens to also be in Christianity. And guess what? It also exists in church. And some of you know that. Some of you have come to church specifically as a tax collector to come before God and all you got were dirty looks and stares and pointing of the finger. Are you any better off? And so this series called Breaking Free is a lead-in to our Celebrate Recovery ministry that we're launching on April 23rd. Um, very excited, actually. Uh, Pastor Steve will be sharing with us next week, and then the, the following week, just before our launch, we're bringing in a guest speaker who has such a powerful testimony of, of how God helped him break free. There is a lot to learn about people in recovery. And there's a stigma that exists with people in recovery, and if you're in recovery, you know this. There's a stigma to say that makes you feel like you're like the other people. But I think actually those roles are kind of reversed. There's something that I believe people in recovery understand that the rest of us tend to not grasp because we're so busy concealing and hiding things away in our own self-righteousness. It's not just those with addictions of alcohol, sex, or drugs. We use this language of hurts, habits, hang-ups. If I talk to you for any length of time, I bet you I could point out some of those different things that we share. And even though it seems like those are the other people, we're just along with them. There's this Bible that was given to me. It's a great resource. It's called the Life Recovery Bible. And it has some great devotions and commentary and all of that. And I was poking around, uh, around Romans to, uh, in research for this. And they had a really great line in there that I wanted to share with you. It says this, we may deny what we have done, find excuses, or try to squirm out from beneath the full weight of our conduct. We may work hard to be good, trying to counteract our wrongs. We do everything we can do to even out the score. Are we better off? Are we, are we really better off on our own? And so Paul speaks into this exceptionalism that existed in the, the church. And he said, are we better off? And then he adds, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, and that's Paul's way of saying, y'all, you all are part of this, are under the power of sin. And this is kind of interesting the way he words this because normally you just say the people that sin, like the people that do the wrong things. But this time he says it's under the power of sin, that we all stand under a power of sin. And that sin somehow is this power or this force that we cannot help ourselves, that we all fall under. I did a funeral one time for a woman in her early 40s that drank herself to death. 
I didn't know her, I knew the family a little bit. And as I counseled the family, I began to understand alcoholism in a different way. Because I just thought maybe it was just, um, you know, a few slip ups here and there and one thing leads to another and all of that. And they explained to me the hereditary disease that alcoholism uh, can be and many times is. Passing from one generation to the next, a power that for many of us is beyond our own personal power. And it broke my heart because they pointed to a little one in their family and said, pray for that one because we think that maybe she has it too. There is this power that is greater than ourselves that all of us fall under, the power of sin. And we're all under it. And Paul later explains in Romans 3.23, and many of you know this scripture, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all fall under that same power. We're all in the same boat. Have you used that phrase before? We're all in the same boat. I use it all the time, but I don't really know where it came from or you know, what it really means. So I was looking it up. It's kind of interesting. There was this English fellow that was translating a famous piece of literature from French. It was in the 16th century, uh, the, this famous piece called The History of Judith. And he was translating this one line, and over time, this one line turned into a common phrase that we even use today, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. But here was the translation that he said. He said, have ye pain? So likewise pain have we. For in one boat we both embarked B. It made me really think about um, a time when I went fishing with my father-in-law and my brother-in-law. And we were in kind of a little boat in Lake Erie. And you know how, like, for those of you fishermen, like, you can't get to your spot fast enough. Like, it always takes too long. So we're going out far in, in Lake Erie trying to get to our spot that we heard from the, the minnow store people that told us that you need to go there and that's where you need to fish. And we're go, going on our way and we're pretty far out there by this point and the engine cuts out on us. And we try to restart it, try to restart it, try to restart it. And we know, oh man, this is not gonna, this is not good, all right? And we have this little moment of helplessness, right? And powerlessness. Like, here we are floating out together. We're all in the same boat here, right? We, we stand in need of outside help. And that's what Paul's trying to say. We're all in the same boat. We all stand in need of outside help. Now, I know that this is a hard subject, okay? I know that when I come up here and I, and I talk about these kinds of things, you're thinking about the skeletons in your closet and that's a really big deal. And a lot of that comes uh, regret and guilt and shame or things that you just don't wanna talk about. Certainly not dinner table talk, right? And I get that that's difficult, but here's the deal, that we can't, not talk about it if we still want to talk about grace. Because talking about our sin, talking about our brokenness, talking about our weakness, talking about our our shame is the prelude to understanding grace. 
And that the realization of our sin, the realization of our standing of need is directly proportional to our experience of grace. I want to say that again. Our realization of our sin and our need is directly proportional to our experience of grace. And that the more that we come to a realization of our need, the more we come to understand grace. And the person, and I've, I've met people in recovery for a long time, not one person is, never a, is, is, is not a grateful person in recovery. You've met some of these people. They tell their story. I'm just saved by the grace of God, man. When Mike Beath comes in a few weeks, you're gonna hear a lot of that. I'm just, I'm just a brother saved by the grace of God. This is the kind of stuff that I hear. They're always grateful because they understand where they were and the, great, the, the, the level to which God has brought them to their place right there. They understand redemption. They understand how it works. There's a great book out there called uh, Why Sin Matters, and Mark McMinn is a psychologist, and he talks about why, you know, how hard it is to talk about sin, and you know, we kind of don't like to address this kind of subject and, and all of that. And uh, he, he goes into why it's difficult, and he's, but he says, you know, here's, but here's why it's important. Because there is that direct relationship between understanding a realization of, of our sin and our need and our experience with grace. Here's the way he says it. He says, sin and grace are part of the same story. And if we leave out either part, we end up with a shallow, life-draining theology we cannot understand God without understanding our need for God. And we cannot understand our needy condition without first understanding something of God's mercy. Sin needs grace, and true grace can be offered only in the presence of sin. The risk is in telling only half the story. Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, goes through a litany of accusations that he borrowed from the Old Testament, from, from the scriptures. And when you read that, you're like, oh man, venomous vipers and my throat is a grave. Come on, Paul, that sounds really, really harsh and really extreme. And what he's trying to say is that when it was written, when, the, when, when those scriptures were written, that's the world that they saw. They saw that, that all of these people were were, were, were broken and, and sinful and, and causing all kinds of harm in the world. And Paul's saying, it's like that. Like when this, when this person was writing about those people, he's also talking about all of us. <laughs> it's also implicating all of us because we all have that same Need, But then he goes into verse 20 where he says, before you thought that it was the law, like following the rules that was gonna guide you out of it. But he said, actually the law, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It's actually the law that kind of reveals to us that where we have fallen short. And so in this series, we're gonna talk about different aspects of freedom or what freedom, breaking free, really re requires. And the spiritual practice of that that we have in the church is, is something called confession. It's a spiritual practice, something that we 
practice. Uh, James um, 5, 16, it says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That healing and wholeness comes through confessing and, and praying for one another. I wonder, as we build up towards this ministry, the launch of this ministry, I wonder if this ministry is going to be seen as that other thing for those other people, or is it going to be something that influences us as as a people? Something that's going to teach us, something that's gonna reveal about us, something that's gonna mess with our culture here so that we can then become a safe place for real people with real issues to come to the throne of grace of God. Can we be that safe space? And can we open ourselves to creating those safe encounters where people can come, and just like the scripture says in James, to confess so that we can pray for one another and we can pursue healing. Can we be that safe church? Can we be that safe space? Can we open ourselves to those safe encounters? Can we be a church that celebrates the recovery that God's Holy Spirit is doing in each and every one of us, not just for those other people? Richard Foster is a wonderful author and theologian of a book called The Celebration of Discipline, and one of the disciplines that he talks about in one of his chapters is confession. Here's what he says about that. He says, confession is a difficult discipline for us because we all too often view the believing community, that's us, as a fellowship of saints before we see it as a fellowship of sinners, But if we know that the people of God are first a fellowship of sinners, we are freed to hear the unconditional call of God's love and to confess our needs openly before our brothers and sisters. We know we are not alone in our sin. The fear and pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to others also. We are sinners together. In acts of mutual confession, we release the power that heals. Our humanity is no longer denied, but transformed. My guess is that along your own journey, someone has been that safe space for you. And that some church person has been that exact church the way it needs to be for you. So I wonder, could you also be that same person for somebody else? Some of you might be standing, sitting here and wondering, I've been looking for a safe space for a long time. And I have this hurt, this habit, or this hang up. I have this power over me, I have this addiction, but I can't let it out. I don't dare let anybody know about it because I have not yet found a safe space in church. I wanna tell you, It's our desire, and I think it's God's desire that we become that environment and that safe space, and not just in Celebrate Recovery, but as a community of faith. And for those of you 
who have been on a journey, who have a story, I wonder if God in this moment is calling you to specifically use that story of redemption, to use that story of healing and wholeness for the benefit of someone else so that someone doesn't know that they're alone in their struggles. Is that you today? We're gonna have a moment where we're gonna sing, but I'm gonna invite you to come forward to the altar. And some of you are elders and other um, leaders in the church. You, um, your practice is to come and pray with people at the altar. I, I would ask that you just withhold that for, for the time being and maybe make yourself available after the service for prayer. I, I wanna invite all of us to be able to come to the altar with all that we got. All that is real, any hurt that we have not forgiven any habit that has power over us, any hang up that we just can't get rid of, whatever that might be, big in your mind, small in your mind, whatever it might be, God cares about. It's big in God's eyes. And invite us to come forward and leave it at the altar. Would you stand with me? God is rich in mercy and grace. That is who God is. God has not hidden or concealed or withheld his mercy and his grace. And if we have not been experiencing that grace, consider that it has been us that, has, that have hidden ourselves away and concealed ourselves away so break free, break free. God's grace is there, it has always been there. Allow yourself to break free. Come to the altar, bring all that you got. That's what God wants. Let's go before him as we sing. Do you sing this out? Lord, I come and I confess Bowing here, I find my rest. And without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. And Lord, I need you.
So as you go, go forward as sinners redeemed by God's love. Walk in that love. Walk in that grace. Walk in that mercy. And don't, don't prevent yourself from lifting up gratitude and, and words of thanks and praise. For we all were once lost, but now we are found. And Christ has set us free. Go in his name and go in his love. Amen. You're dismissed.